And I, I think it's really, really important not to discount the need for the child's voice in in treatment. Um, look, I'm constantly just so, so amazed and so impressed by the children that I, I get to work with. We should just not underestimate how amazing young people are and very often how clear, how clearly they can articulate what, what's happening for them and how they're feeling. That was Tamar Black, and this is Mentally Flexible. Welcome to Mentally Flexible, where we have meaningful conversations to help you build mental flexibility. I'm Tom Parks. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and in each episode, I'll be talking to people who inspire me most on topics related to psychology, mental health, and creativity. My hope is that through these conversations, you'll better understand yourself, others, and the world around you. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. My guest today is Tamar Black. Tamar is an educational and developmental psychologist in Melbourne, Australia. She has over 20 years of experience working with children, adolescents, and parents. Tamar has extensive experience providing clinical supervision to early career and highly experienced psychologists. She also provides training in acceptance and commitment therapy to clinicians and teachers. Tamar is the author of the new book, Act for Cheating Children, which we will be discussing today in this episode. Some of the other topics we explore include how acceptance and commitment therapy first came into her life, the important role that Russ Harris and Louise Hayes played in Tamar's act development, the process behind her new book, Act for Treating Children, some of the core differences when working with children in therapy. We look at the hexaflex through Tamar's adapted act kid flex model, and we explore how we can use our own experience and psychological flexibility as an agent of change. Thank you so much to Tamar for coming out of the podcast. Uh, as a clinician who doesn't currently work with children, it was super interesting to learn more about the process and see some of the similarities and differences. I loved hearing her stories and seeing how powerful working with children can be. I definitely encourage anyone working with or interested in working with children to read her book. And thank you all for your continued support of the podcast. I've built so many new relationships through this show, both with the guests as well as you listeners. I look forward to bringing you many more meaningful conversations going into the new year. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe wherever you listen, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or follow me on Instagram at Mentally Flexible. And above all, just I appreciate you being here and listening. And okay, I think that's it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tamar Black. Thanks again for being here. Um, I've been looking forward to this as working with kids is something I don't do very often. And I'd love to be able to talk to you a little bit more about that. Uh, would you be able to start by just sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do? Could you give us an intro? Yeah, sure, Tom. Thank you so much for inviting me to to be here. It's really a great honor. So thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm a, a child and adolescent psychologist. In Australia, we call it educational and developmental psychologist. I've been a psychologist for 21 years. I've worked at a school for 20 years as a school psychologist. And I also have a, a private practice working with children and with adolescents and young adults and working with parents. Oh, wow. Very cool. And uh, what, you know, where you came on my radar was your recent book that you wrote. Would you want to share a little bit about your, your book? Yeah, thank you. So I have a book called Act for Treating Children. Um, it's a book aimed at mental health practitioners to teach them how to use um, acceptance and commitment therapy, which we abbreviate to ACT, and how to use that with children five to 12 years. And 
it, I've tried to write the book in really, really simple language so that people don't need to have read anything about ACT or done any prior training in order to be able to understand the book. Um, a, lot of, a lot of what's in the book can also be used with adolescents as well. And look, I've got colleagues who only, only work with adults who have said to me that they're reading the book and using lots of it with the adult clients that they work with as well. Mm, very cool. Yeah, I have so many questions about that. And maybe to help us build a foundation here, we'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about how just ACT even generally came into your life. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, look, I kind of really just stumbled upon it. I, I want to say I'd heard about ACT <laughs> and then went and looked for training, but I actually hadn't heard of ACT. Um, it was 2007 and I was just looking for some some professional development training to attend. And I think I had always sort of, you know, gone the very safe path and done training in things that I already knew about. Um, I was trained in cognitive behavioural therapy and I'd done, you know, quite a, a lot of training in that. And I just felt like sort of, yeah, venturing down a different path and trying something new. And I just I live in Melbourne, Australia, and I just did a Google search for psychology workshops in Melbourne, and I, I literally stumbled across a two-day introductory workshop that Russ Harris was taking. And I, I had a look at the blurb, and I thought, wow, this sounds really different. It's not something that I know about, you know, know anything about. It sounds really interesting. Why don't I, I go along and, and do that? Um, so I went and did that, and at the end of the second day, I thought, wow, this is this is really interesting. And I just wanted to keep learning. And so I actually signed up for his advanced workshop and went back three weeks later and did oh, that. Wow. And I certainly wasn't, wasn't advanced. I hadn't even started using ACT, but I just wanted to keep learning more and more. Um, but to be honest with you, I really didn't, I really didn't know how to sort of make the shift from using CBT with clients to using ACT. I, I really didn't know how to incorporate ACT with CBT. I, so it was actually a good 12 months before I sort of found the courage to start having a go at, at using ACT. I, I went to um, an ACBS Australia New Zealand conference nine months after Russ's workshop. And I remember sitting in that conference thinking, it sounds really good, but I have no idea how I could actually apply this with my own clients. And further, I, I couldn't work out how I could really adapt all the pretty sort of complex terminology. I sort of felt, honestly, I felt like I needed a dictionary to really understand what people were talking about. I, you know, I was hearing these terms like self as context and um, diffusion and I was really kept sort of thinking what does that mean again what does that mean so yeah. I, I had to try and work out how to put all of that into developmentally appropriate language that children and teenagers would understand so that you know I wasn't sort of looking you know sounding like I was you know reciting from a dictionary in, in their therapy sessions mm. well, thanks for sharing all that I uh it's so cool how full circle that came for you because you started off just going to a Russ Harris training without knowing much and Russ Harris wrote the forward to your recent book, like how full circle. I know, I know, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and when I was like thinking about forward writers, I, I, wanted, I wanted to choose someone that I had a connection with that had played a part in my in my professional development and I thought I think that Russ is Russ is the perfect person given that his workshop is is the first one that I went to in ACT. Wow I I love how in the ACT community it's so um, collaborative and supportive and open source because um, I had Russ on this podcast as well and talking about his journey he had a kind of similar story as you but his was going to a steve hayes training and then ultimately writing the happiness trap and then steve hayes really supported that and i love how everyone sort of builds on each other and there isn't that competitive edge to it and everyone wants each other to succeed and build on the model absolutely absolutely and i yes and i i think 
I think for me it would have been difficult to have learned about ACT without the spirit of, of that community. Um, when I went to that first ACT conference in New Zealand, I had enrolled in my PhD three days before the conference yeah. began and I I want, really wanted to meet Louise Hayes and Louise was living in the country a couple of hours away from Melbourne where I live and, um, you know, I kept Googling her, kept kept looking her up thinking, oh, I've, got, I've got to meet this lady and I was looking at the New Zealand conference and then I remember late one Saturday night I got an email from one of the organisers of the New Zealand conference because I had said, do you have anyone who's going to be presenting on working with children or adolescents? And then on a Saturday night, this email came saying, we now have a, a workshop on using ACT with adolescents. It's being presented by Dr. Louise Hayes. And oh. so <laughs> I, I, booked, I booked my ticket. I, I didn't know anyone at the conference. I felt very brave going on my own, flying to New Zealand and going to this conference where I knew I probably wasn't going to know anyone and I went to this amazing three-hour workshop that Louise ran and at the end of the workshop I introduced myself to her and I said I just started my PhD three days ago and she said what are you going to do it in and I said act in schools and so she gave me her contact details and then she became my PhD supervisor and wow. um, I, I was Louise's first PhD student. Oh wow that's incredible. Yeah. That must have been so exciting for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like she's like my hero. And so <laughs> and yeah, I kind of had to keep pinching myself. Oh my gosh, I I'm being supervised by Louise Hayes. Yeah, she <laughs> she's really awesome. Oh yeah, she was on the podcast too. I love speaking with her. Um it's so funny how those of us who really geek out on this stuff in the field, we talk about trainings and workshops, who's gonna be there, like their music festivals and bands. The way you just talked about that, you're like, I found out Louis Hayes was headlining. <laughs> I booked a ticket. <laughs> I know. I, I felt like a, a groupie like the whole time. <laughs> I remember um, I spent nine hours with her one day at the University of Ballarat and we sat like writing the whole um, the whole protocol for the ACT program because I, I did a trial of ACT versus CBT as a compulsory part of school curricula for ninth graders. And like, yeah, we're sitting there writing it all. And I remember, you know, we, we had a break for lunch and, and she went off and like I'm sitting there saying to myself, oh my gosh, like you're sitting here with Louise Hayes. I had to kind of keep <laughs> pinching myself. Oh, that's so cool. So what, tell me a little bit more about what your PhD experience was like, learning about ACT in schools and working with Louise Hayes, like as much as you want to share. Yeah, look, um, it was a really challenging experience um, running running the groups. I, you know, I, I really, really love ACT and I'm very, very passionate about it. And I thought that, you know, going into schools and putting coping skills programs into school curricula um, would be a very, very helpful way of firstly reaching out to students who are having any difficulties with their mental health and teaching them coping strategies, but also hopefully teaching coping strategies to students who are not experiencing any difficulties as a way of enhancing their mental health and hopefully teaching them good coping um, strategies that might prevent coping difficulties so that even if they weren't having difficulties coping at the time they were participating in the intervention if difficulties came you know arose in the future i was hopeful that the skills that they would be learning in the groups would perhaps inoculate them um, against mental illness further on down the track I will say, though, it's really, really difficult running universal interventions in schools because a universal intervention is one where everyone in a cohort, everyone in, in a group participates. So they're not actually choosing to be there. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's really difficult to, to, you know, sit a group of, of any people down and say, well, now we're going to teach you how to cope because if they don't feel that they need to be there, if you don't yeah. have their buy-in, it, it, it's not really going to work. Um, yes. There was a, a big, big study done 
um, in Australia that had lots and lots of funding um, from Beyond Blue, which is a, a government initiative um, for treating and, and preventing depression. And I think they had like $10 million or something like that um, in funding for their study. And they ran a CBT universal intervention and they didn't get in, they didn't get any significant results. Mm. And I know recently there was a, a mindfulness intervention done um, in schools, which also didn't didn't get any significant results. So it 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 is it is really really difficult. Um, the schools that I ran my interventions in, they were already doing fantastic preventive work before mm. I got there. And which it's possibly why those schools put up their hands to to be involved, because they were, they were already being very very proactive and doing great things. And so when I worked with their students in ninth grade, those students had already done fabulous interventions in seventh grade and eighth grade. So they probably didn't really need to be doing an ACT or a CBT intervention. Mm, yeah, yeah, and and whenever we do things in a that kind of universal, more structured way, especially with ACT, we know how much context and individualizing something for people plays a role. And so when we're trying to do things in kind of a cookie cutter way that studies probably want you to do it, it can be really difficult, I imagine. Absolutely. And it's so hard just really picking the measures and working out like what questionnaires you you want to use. What was really interesting was, look, I I had a heap of of measures, and, you know, I had coping scales, I looked at self-efficacy, I looked at academic self-efficacy, I looked at depression, anxiety, stress, you know, I look, looked, at, looked at everything. Um, but what was really, really interesting, what was much more interesting than the quantitative measures was the, quali- the qualitative feedback that I got. So I, I just, you know, wrote a, a short questionnaire and I just asked them, did you gain? Do you think that you gained anything from this program? And what was fascinating was that the statements that participants in the ACT intervention wrote, and the the statements that the participants wrote in the CBT intervention, their both their feedback it was so so consistent with the intervention that they had done. So you didn't even need to know, you know. Who, who had been in what group, you could just look at what they wrote for what they gained from the program and you could tell exactly which intervention they had done. There was a lot more feedback in terms of positive gains from the participants in the ACT intervention. And they talked a lot about just being able to, to you know, let their thoughts be, to, to sit with their thoughts without having to believe everything their mind told them. They talked a lot about in, you know, very significant improvements in their concentration. Um, so it, it was it was very, very interesting. Mm, very cool. So clearly you've had um, a lot of experience and growth and developing new approaches over the years that led you to write your recent book. So what's that journey been like for you? Yeah, it's, it's- it's been an amazing journey. It's it's been it's been really really interesting. Um, you know, I'm just in, in, incredibly incredibly grateful to the clients that I get to work with, the the kids and the teams that I get to work with, that you know let me experiment with new new activities that I might come up with. Um, I'm I'm always blown away at how willing children and adolescents are to allow me to try new things. And so I might say, look, I've, I've just developed this activity over the weekend. I haven't actually tried it out with anyone yet. Would <laughs> it be all right if we just like give it a go, try it as an experiment and, and see what happens? And I'm just always incredibly grateful and, and very, very impressed by the willingness of young people to, um, you know, to try new things that perhaps I haven't even tried out with anyone or, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I like to talk very much about my own experiences. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell young people about, you know, an activity that I've developed that I'm finding is, is really helping me with something. And then, you know, would, would they be willing to try it out as an experiment and just see what happens? Hmm. Wow, that's great. I mean, to, 
you to have that sort of motivation and creativity to come up with things on your own, to have the sort of humility and to bring that into a session and let them know that this is new and share a little bit about your own experience. So there's something meaningful like between you and the client. That's cool. So I don't know. I have so many questions that pop up. So I guess maybe we could start even just broadly and feel free to pull from your book or whatever. As someone who works primarily with, you know, older adolescents and adults, what are some of those major differences when you work with kids and want to use ACT? Like what, what really stands out as different? I think just trying to keep your language as simple as possible. One thing that I've realized is like just how many sort of, and, and I don't, don't mean this just within ACT, but we, t- we tend to use like a lot of metaphors and I've, I've realized this quite, quite recently. Um, I, we just, we just have everything, you know, everything that, that we say when we're doing therapy sessions, it shouldn't be ambiguous and we shouldn't sort of leave it open for misinterpretation. So, you know, I, I know like a, a lot of therapists might say to a client, I want to know what it's like to walk in your shoes. And I'm just sort of giving this as an example. But that's something that could be really misinterpreted by a client or taken very literally. Like the client mm. the client might think that you actually want to put their shoes on and go for a walk in, in their shoes. And so when I'm, when I'm working with, with anyone, um, I think it's really important... Well, I, I just try to really, really watch my language and make sure that I'm I'm not using language that could be vague or could be misinterpreted. Mm. And I think just I I think if you notice yourself using using language or you know using phrases that could be vague, I think being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to apologize for that. And if we're, you know, I, I often say to, to, to people that I'm working with, like particularly to children, especially if I'm working with young children, I might say now, if I start using any words or saying anything that you're not understanding, I'll say to them, that's my fault. That's because I'm sitting here, you know, being, being so impressed by what you're saying I might actually stop remembering how old you are and think that I'm sitting here with a teenager because the things that you're saying to me are, are so incredible and, you know, you, you seem like someone who, who's quite a bit older than, mm. um, than your age. And so if I, if I get this wrong, if I say something you're not understanding or I use a word that's too, too big for someone your age, please tell me. Um, or even if I catch myself using a phrase and then I think that's vague, I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I actually, I've, I've just noticed I didn't make myself clear when I said that. Let me try again. And so just just being willing to be vulnerable, and I think that's really good rapport building as well. Hmm. That's really interesting, yeah, because there's so many times when I catch myself even working with adults being a little bit too verbose or trying too hard to say something that'll really nail the idea or the experience and it goes right over their heads. And I imagine with a child, the the opportunity for that is exponential. Yeah, and I, I think, look, for me, I like to, if I'm bringing in metaphors, I like to just try and make them every day examples that most people can relate to um in act there's lots and lots of metaphors but all those metaphors were designed for use with adults and so if we're using act metaphors with teenagers or with children i think most of the time they don't understand what we're talking about i mean you know it's like donkeys being caught in a well or feeding a hungry tiger that's not most people's experience. And I think even if you use those metaphors with adults, probably a lot of adults are not, not understanding what that means. So I think if you can try and develop a metaphor that's based on someone's everyday experiences 
that most people can relate to, I think that's a lot more meaningful for the person. I think that's something they're likely more likely to remember when they leave the therapy room. Mm, yeah, like anyone who grew up after the 90s just doesn't get the, the quicksand metaphor. <laughs> I feel like growing up, I saw quicksand and everything, even though it's I've never seen it in the wild. And now I never see quicksand and stuff. I'm just being a little silly, but like still, that's that's an example of something I'll use something sometimes and younger clients I work with don't understand that. Absolutely. I've, I've never met a child who, who knows what quicksand is. I mean, I've, I've never been stuck in, I've never been trapped in quicksand myself. So again, I, I think, I think it, it works better just to develop our own metaphors based on our own experiences. I mean, I love just to talk to kids in adolescence about, you know, what happens if you really need to go to the bathroom and you try not to think about needing to use the bathroom. Like, mm. that's something that most people can relate to. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So that's a, a good kind of overarching theme of the work. And I guess if I'm, or um, something to keep in mind when you're working with kids, I guess I'd be curious if like what it's like for you if you were to take me through maybe from the beginning of working with a child. Um, maybe we could talk about the, that younger age because that's what I'm less familiar with. Like if we took a um, kind of a general case that would that you'd be presented with with a child, what does that look like and how do you start? Does it follow the same as I might with an adult that's very sort of like fluid and moving around the processes or is it more kind of working through each processes in a more structured way? Like what's the work look like? Yeah, look, I guess it, it's really dependent on, on the individual client. I don't have like the same approach that I use with, with everyone. I really sort of like to just approach each client as though that's the only person that I'm working with. Um, so it might think, you know, the structure might look quite different from, from client to client and the number of sessions that I'll see them for, you know, might, might look different too. Um, look, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of children are, I guess, what I'd refer to as involuntary clients. A lot of yeah. children are not saying to their parents or, or their teacher or their, their caregiver, um, you know, can you find someone for me to go and talk to about about this problem or this difficulty? Yeah. And so a lot of, some do, some do, but a lot of the people that, that I would work with would be, um, at, like at the school, either referred to me by a parent or a teacher or um, in my clinic, you know, usually brought in by their, by their parent, either at their parent's suggestion or at suggestion, you know, of, of a teacher. And so I think it's really, really important from the very beginning to get buy-in from the child and to make it very clear to the child and their parent that that the child is is your client and and not the parent, mm -hmm. and that's something that I like to sort of make explicit, um, you know, very clearly by saying to the child, "Now you are the most important person in the room. I really, really want to hear from you what life is like for you. I want to hear from you what's happening, um, what what you're having difficulties with, and and really." giving the child a voice in the session. Um, I know that, look, a lot of psychologists like to meet with the parent before they meet with the child. Um, I hardly ever do that. My, my very strong preference is not to meet with the parents first. Look, there are some exceptions. Um, if, you know, if it's like a family court case or there's been some abuse or there's something that... There's, you know, there's a very clear need to meet with the parent before meeting with the child. Sometimes there are things that the parent, you know, wants to tell you that are not appropriate for the child to hear. And then, you know, sure, I'll, I'll see the parents. But 99% of the time, I'm meeting with the child and the parent for the first time together and um, in, inviting both of them, you know, to, to tell me what, what's happening for the child and then... I really, really like to in involve the child in that first session in setting some goals for, for our sessions and really 
getting the child to, to have a, an, an active voice um, in letting me know, you know, what, what they'd like to, what, what they'd like some help with. What, what are some examples of goals a child might have at the start of treatment with you? Yeah, so it might be to be able to sleep in their own bedroom or mm. go off to camp or go to a friend's, a friend's house for a sleepover or be able to go to a party or be able to walk into school without their parent. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's like uh, just brought up like kind of a flash in my mind of like uh, just a memory of being a kid and how challenging things could be as a kid. And if you were, at least for me, and if I was given a space to really describe where life didn't feel like it was connected in the way that I want or where I wasn't getting what I wanted out of life or what was important. Yeah. I would have a list of things too. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it's really, really important not to discount the need for the child's voice in, in treatment. Um, look, I'm constantly just so, so amazed and so impressed by the children that I, I get to work with. Um, and children are often so, so clear about what's happening for them. I, I had a saw a child recently who was seven who had um, pretty severe trichotillomania, and I mm. trichotillomania is, is hair pulling for for people that don't know what that term means. And um, I, I was seeing um, him and his his parent for the first time, and when they arrived, the, the parent they had had the um, had the child's sibling with them and their mum had had to pick pick the other sibling up from school who was unwell with a temperature. And I said to the mum, look, I, I won't, you know, I won't make you sit in here, you know, with, with your child who's unwell. And I said, look, if, if you want to sit in the waiting area, um, you know, with, with your other child, I'm, I'm okay to, you know, sit here um, with your child. And, you know, he was seven but it was like sitting there with an adult. He could tell me exactly when and where the, the hair pulling occurred, what would happen right before the hair pulling to lead to him pulling out his hair, how how his family and you know teachers would respond when he pulled out his hair, what you know what what like what would happen right after, and he oh, was just just incredible. And at the end of the session, you know, I went out to his mum and she said like you know was it okay I'm so sorry that I wasn't in the room I said no no it was actually fine I said your your child is absolutely incredible um hmm. you know he's been so clear with me about what's happening and actually this is what we've developed together for you know what what he'd like to work on and this is my pl my plan of how I'm going to try and, and help him and wow. so we should just not underestimate how amazing young people are and very often how clear how clearly they can articulate what what's happening for them and how they're feeling it, it doesn't doesn't always happen like that um, but yeah I'm just really wanting to emphasize the need to to really you know if you're working with children really see the child as your client and and really really you know try to listen to them about their experiences um, and just really get their input in, into that treatment planning. Mm, I love that story. I mean, yeah, even working with adults, uh, you know, it, it can often take a lot of work for ourselves and with clients to settle into that deepest authentic truth. And as children, you know, you know, when we start off very young, we're always in that space. And then at a certain point, when we start to grow up as kids, we start to develop that sort of separation from that when our personality develops. And with kids, it must be uh, maybe sometimes easier if you set the conditions right to let them slip into that really authentic, truthful place where they're, there's not that filter of what they think you want to hear, what other people want to hear, what they should say. 
Totally, totally. And I, I feel like children and teenagers respond really, really well to ACT. They haven't had years and years of being conditioned to avoid the difficult or uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And so I, I think that children and, and teenagers find the ACT approach of, of accepting your thoughts and feelings and, and not letting things stop you from doing what's important to you. I feel like kids and, and teens find that to be like a really logical approach. I find like a lot of the time they're just like, like, oh, my gosh, like, of course, that, that makes so much sense. Mm. I, I, met with, I met with a teenager recently um, who has just terrible, terrible panic attacks. Um, and, you know, understandably, they're, they're, they're very, very fearful of having panic attacks. And I, I had a, a first session um, and, yeah, the, the teen was, teenager was very, very clear about what's going on for them and we were able to, to get started and, and, and start to talk about some, some strategies using ACT for managing those panic attacks. And then at the end of the session, they stood up and they said, I've seen so many psychologists, but you've actually given me more help today in this first session than all of those people did in, in all of the sessions combined that I saw them for. Mm. Wow, that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I, I look. I think, I think if we can, when you know, when we're using ACT with with clients, if we can just make it very, very practical, and you know, really sort of focus on how you can use these strategies in your day to day life. I think, I think the problem develops for therapists where where the work is presented as vague and clients are not seeing how they can actually use the strategies to help them in their day-to-day -day lives. But if we can make the work very practical but also be setting some home tasks so that they can practice the strategies and then each time we see them starting out, right, can you remember the strategies that I suggested last time? And if they can, were you able to have a go at, at trying any of them? If so, what happened? Were they, was it helpful? Was it not helpful? What was it like? And if they didn't try any of the strategies, examining that too, finding out, you know, how, how come, what, what happened? Was it that you forgot or you didn't want to or, you know, does it seem too hard? But just really helping the client to develop a tool of coping strategies and each time you see them building on those coping strategies but also helping helping the person see the links. So not just each session sort of process by process but really help tying the processes together and showing the clients how they can use the strategies um, you know, to help themselves in particular situations. Mm. Well, that's kind of a good segue into a question or multiple questions here, if you'd be willing to do it with me. Uh, would you want to go around the ACT processes and maybe share one insight or skill or something that you might do to adapt to working with a child or early adolescent? Yeah, sure. I'm just trying to think about which which one because I'd just love to tell you all of them. So what I did was I've I've adapted I've adapted um, the Act Hexaflex to become what I've called the Act Kid Flex, mm, and cool. so I I love like I I love the Hexaflex. I love the processes. I love the placement. Um, and so I didn't feel a need, like, to change the model. All I've done is just adapted the terms to make them more kid-friendly. Cool. So I've just changed acceptance to let it be, diffusion to let it go, contact with, contact with the present moment to stay here, self as context to notice yourself, values to choose what matters, and committed action to do what matters. Mm -hmm. I love that. that that's uh, really in line with what you were saying earlier about simplifying language. I feel like there's 
there's even adult clients where using this language would be really helpful. So I might steal it from you. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. And look, what I found was I was always sort of trying to simplify the language. And so even like before I adapted um, the Hexaflex, I, I actually never, I never used the language of the Hexaflex with the clients. So I would never say like, oh, now we're going to do self as context. So like I would be thinking in my head, okay, this session, I really want to address self as context, but I would never say self as yes. context. But yeah. once I developed the kid flex, then I started talking about, okay, well, we can notice ourselves or, you know, I would talk about like stay here rather than contact with the present moment. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. It's a yeah. very natural language to use that helps facilitate an experiential connection to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, when, when you're doing this work, um, you know, you might not even need to like spend a whole session on, on each process. Well, I, I really, really like to try and combine processes. So I might use like two, two of the processes at a time. Let's say like, let it be and let it go. And so it might be one session addressing, let it be and let it go together rather than, you know, we're going to have one session on, on each process of the kid flex. Mm. Cool. So, yeah, it, I mean, it might just be like, you know, just using simple phrases, just, you know, like saying hi to your anxiety, just something like, you know, hi, you know, hi, hi worries. It's, it's fabulous to see you today. <laughs> oh, gee, I really love the way you've done your hair. <laughs> and just just being playful, like just joking around like like that, making it playful so it's not so heavy. Um, yes. I, I think if you can get the client laughing, if you can get them engaged, if you can, you know, if, if there's a sense of fun, if they're laughing themselves, then I think that they're much more likely to remember what you've taught them. Yes. Yeah. Because in that there's noticing your anxiety, there's giving it a name, there's sort of giving it permission to be there. There is hold, holding it a little bit more lightly through your sort of energy towards it. Absolutely. And just, yeah. you know, one, one thing about ACT is, um, you know, it's very much in the spirit of ACT to use appropriate therapist disclosure. And probably like that was one of the things that was really most foreign for me when I first trained in ACT because I think, you know, in, in, when you're trained in other therapies, there's you know, there's there's not a focus on not I don't not there's not um, as much of a focus on you know this idea of I'm climbing my mountain, you're you're climbing yours, and that I think there, there's sort of more more a perception that the therapist kind of needs to present themselves as like this perfect person whose life's just absolutely fantastic, who doesn't have any difficulties themselves. Yeah. And so I think, I think that if you can model appropriate difficulties, if you can use appropriate disclosure, um, and you know, but very, very appropriate. I mean, not talking about you know, huge, huge difficulties, huge issues in your own life, but you know, like I'm really, really fearful of public speaking, and so I will talk to kids and I will talk to teenagers that. I'm really, really scared of public speaking, but teaching teaching therapists how to use ACT with kids and with teens is something that I really, really care a lot about. And so I will get up at conferences and I will give a presentation, even though I'm terrified, my mind is telling me you're going to forget everything that you've prepared people are going to think you don't know what you're talking about. You're going to do a lousy job. You won't be able to answer questions. And I can just notice all of that. I can just say hi, Worries, about getting up at the conference. It's great to see you. Come on, Worries. Off we go. We're going to get up and present now. 
Mm. And I can just be reminding myself of why I want to get up at the conference and present. And I can get up and present. And then I will say, you know what, actually, the things that I worry about when I present, actually, none of those have ever come true. I've actually never fainted at a conference. And so I think if you can give some some real, some authentic examples yourself of how you've used ACT and the strategies that you're teaching the person in your own life, I think it gives you a lot of credibility as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you with that. One image that really helped me understand this was in one of Steve Hayes' training. He had a uh, like an image of the hexaflex in front of the client and the hexaflex in front of the therapist and with all of like the lines coming out from each process intersecting with each other about how integral that your psychological flexibility and theirs are working together. It's not this separate thing. And self-disclosure is one aspect of that. And even just beyond what you tell them, the content of your life, like how you show up as a person is part of that too. Well, oh my gosh, I've just had such goosebumps just as you were saying that. That's, that's incredible. Mm, wow. Yeah. I always keep that in the, the back of my head, that image. Wow. And look, I, I, I think I, I think that clients do really appreciate hearing how we're using what we're, what we're trying to teach them in, in our own lives. And I think a client is going to, I think someone's going to be more willing to try something that you're suggesting, to try it as an experiment. If you can tell them that, you know what, actually I use this myself and I found this helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sometimes I'll even do it in session. Like if something hooks me, like I, I remember I had a, um, I was working with a client who has like uh, challenges with like intrusive thoughts. And uh, I remember recently in my neighborhood, there was some big drama about bear. There was, I have a lot of bears in my neighborhood. I live on this mountain in Connecticut and <laughs> black bears. And there was this one bear that was, uh, getting into people's houses and like learning how to open doors and um, and anyway, so it was this big thing in my street in my neighborhood. And I remember in one session, I heard something in the room next to me where my dog is, and I just got this intrusive thought of a bear opening up the window and going into that room with my dog. And it really took me out of the present moment for like twenty five, thirty seconds. And instead of just like coming back and like moving on as if I heard what the client was saying. I just shared what happened for me in that past 30 seconds. And it was a really useful way to open up my about my own experience in that moment, directly related to what we're talking about the client going through. So instead of faking, getting my way through that and pretending like nothing happened, then talking to the client as if it's just something with them, it was a really cool way for us to connect in that moment. Wow, that's awesome. Wow, how amazing. Yeah, wow. it wasn't a bear, by the way. <laughs> incredible, incredible. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I, think, I think the clients really, really respond re- really well to that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that your client was responding really well to knowing that, you know, you have those intrusive thoughts as well. Yeah, yeah, it really did help sort of just like normalize that or make it make it an us problem rather than a you problem, right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it also shows the client that, you know, you're really showing up, like you're really present in the room with them. You're, you're aware of, of what's happening for yourself. You, you're not just sort of, you know, going through the motions in, in their session. Yeah, it's... Uh... I'm, sounds like you do that too. I just, I care so much about that. Like our presence, our full presence, you know, we're not perfect. We have things going on outside of work and stuff, but we can't be perfect. But generally speaking, showing up with that commitment to being fully present is like the the foundation to our work, right? It's like, it's so important. And I can, it's so, um, it's it's so tangible when it's not there. And I feel like I'm doing a disservice to that person I'm with. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, yeah. And and one thing that, that I've done since using ACT is actually reduced 
the number of clients that I that I see per day um, in an effort to just be hundred percent present in in their sessions. Mm. Yeah, that's a really cool step that you took to just sort of be in tune with where because we all have a limit, right? You can't you can't see forty clients in a row and expect to you know or ten clients in a day and expect at the end to be as present as you are in the first and unfortunately it's we don't always have the ability to choose that a lot of the ways places that we work it mandated but that's a bigger problem about our field rather than this conversation absolutely absolutely yeah i mean you can't you know especially like if you're working at at a school or a hospital you you don't know you know who who's going to show up um in you know in a in a crisis and often our day can look quite different from, you know, how we had tried to plan it out. Mm. So somebody who doesn't work with kids currently, but is, you know, fairly competent and uh, experienced and act with adults or later teens, let's say. So I'm asking about myself here. Uh, <laughs> could they read their read your book and like would read sounds like reading your book. Would that give us a good uh foundation into trying to open up that door to working with kids and act yeah yeah definitely definitely you can you don't have to have done any reading about working with kids or you don't have to have have worked with kids um to to be able to to understand the book at all oh that's awesome i'm i'm honestly really interested in in that so i'm excited to read your book and it's uh it's on a list behind the steve hayes book that I'm still trying to understand because it takes me a week to read a page of it but wow thank you what and what what's the Steve Hayes book that you're reading at the moment is it uh the process-based therapy okay one. yep yep that's <laughs> it's uh it's really important stuff but it's hard for me to understand that stuff especially reading it I do much better listening to people explain things mm-hmm. yep um okay well was there anything before we sort of wind down here that you wanted that we didn't get to that you feel like you'd want to share would be important about this topic? Yeah, I think just be be willing to um, you know be willing to to try new things in your sessions and just be be willing to try to be creative. A, a lot of people, especially when they're sort of first starting out in act, feel like um, you know they they have to always sort of be following someone else's script and I think Mm. just let let go let go of the scripts don't you know don't be sort of don't read out from someone else's script be be willing to make mistakes um you know you 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 don't have to get things perfect and often our our best work is is the things that we make up ourselves um I purposely say to clients you know I'm I'm not going to read a script because I I don't want to do things perfectly. I, I want to show you how to do things mm. imperfectly. So mm. be be willing to to get things wrong. Like you know, if we if we don't make mistakes, we don't learn. Um, so just be yeah, be willing to make mistakes and just be be willing to to have have a go. Try to be like a bit silly in your sessions. Try to make them fun. Um, try and sort of think about, you know, how could I try and adapt other people's exercises and, and create something a little bit different? Have have a go. Ask your clients for feedback. What was that like? Like, do you think that was helpful? If if it wasn't great, you know, can you tell me what, what you didn't enjoy, what you didn't find helpful? Um, be, you know, just be asking your clients for feedback and, and, and just have, have a go and, and, and see see what things are like. Mm, I love that advice on modeling, doing things imperfectly. Cause I feel like that's a hurdle that especially newer therapists in the field can have a hard time getting over of like maybe being not wanting to let go of the script or the worksheet and taking that plunge into like trusting their own intuitive way of delivering something. And even explicitly saying, I'm going to, model doing things imperfectly is such a great way to take that dive in so I love that thank you and I think look you know even if you're doing something like 
a lot of the young people that I see have sleep difficulties. And so, you know, if like mindfulness exercises, like mindful breathing or or listening to music mindfully, you know, if all of those things are not working, um, often, you know, teach them how to do progressive muscle relaxation. And so I'll say, you know, can I take you through it now? Can I teach you so that you can, you know, use this yourself when you're trying to fall asleep? And I say to them before we start, I'm going to purposely mix this all up. You're going to notice I'm not sort of following, I'm not going to follow a logical order um, Mm. when, when I teach you this. And the reason that I do it that way is so that when you're lying in bed at night, trying to do this exercise for yourself, actually don't want you focusing on, am I getting this right? Am I doing this in the right order? So I'm going to purposely mix it all up and then you can just do it in like whatever order your mind wants to do it in. Mm, That's so awesome. And it makes me feel like have a new appreciation for maybe how I facilitate like opening and closing mindfulness with uh, clients where I just sort of, it's almost like freestyling. I do it differently every time, every time to just model. There's no one right way to do it. So I didn't know I was modeling that is what I mean. So thank you for helping me realize that. <laughs> That's a pleasure. Um, okay. Well, I want to be mindful of time here and I want to thank you for being here with me and talking about your book and your life story. Oh, thank you so much, Thomas. Absolute pleasure. So great to meet you and and so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, You too. It was a real pleasure and I appreciate your time. Would you want to share any information how people can connect with you or your work or book or anything? Yeah, sure. So the book is is Act for Treating Children. I have a website which is www.com tamarblack.com.au so it's t-a-m-a-r-b-l-a-c-k.com.au if you're a therapist who's interested in having like supervision with me or doing one of my training workshops you can just go on the website and fill out the contact form Um, and I've also got an Instagram page Dr. Tamar Black and I've, I've got a Facebook business page as well Dr. Tamar Black, Educational and Developmental Psychologist. So feel free to feel free to connect with me. Uh, well, thanks so much again. All right. Oh, Appreciate and I'm on, sorry, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. If you want to reach out to me that way. Okay. Cool. All Don't right. forget LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. It's got me out of my mind. It's got me seeing trees breathe. It's got me learning how heaven and hell are both inside of me. It's got me feeling the love that I bottled so deep. When the entire world kept feeding on my greed.